Good morning, Tabernacle. I want to welcome you, uh, especially those that are with us worshiping at our Manistee campus. It's a beautiful day in northern Michigan. But I want to tell you about a no good, very bad day, if I could. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was at the end of my rope. So my wife and I have been blessed with five children. Um, Our oldest is married, and we have a grandchild, and that means that there's a lot of vehicles in the Vermilia fleet of vehicles, right? Because they're all coming either in driving age or coming to driving age. Uh, We got one in college, and it seems like this was the year that everything decided to break on everything. Have you ever been there? We got this one. It's all-wheel drive, so we have to have four new tires, which is highway robbery. Uh, we've got thing. I don't know what the things are, and you've been around here long enough uh, to know that when it comes to mechanical things, I just don't know. I think a defibrillator broke on one. <laughs> there was an incubator and another one that had to be replaced, and we've just come to the end of the budget, right? But there was a problem with my vehicle. I drive a 13-year-old a uh, Jeep, and uh, Uh, I I don't try to put my identity in my car, but I need my vehicle, right? It gets me to all the things I have to do. Uh, My duties here, uh, you know, getting over to Manistee, now trying to get over to Cadillac and then be a soccer coach. In between, I need wheels. But this engine light that I ignored for a long time, we finally got it checked out. It's something about a solenoid or a cellular or cellular service. I'm not sure. But I just received the call that day from the mechanic that no, it's not a solenoid It's the whole transmission. And I, I, well, what what are we talking to the tune of? And it was the tune of $4,000. And I knew we didn't have it. I didn't even need to ask my accountant, who happens to be my wife. I knew we didn't have it. In fact, I I kept it from her for 24 hours because I just didn't want to deal with the, the cloud that would just, you know, of just discouragement. Finally, I told her, and she told me what I knew she'd say is we don't have it. And I called the mechanic and I said, I don't know what to do. We can't drive it. It's there. We're not going to charge this. This is, I was frustrated and I was angry. Come on, you've called me to this place and you have to have four-wheel drive because it might snow next week. (laughs) And it's easy in those moments to get just kind of whatever. And so the only set of wheels that I had was a broken down vehicle that is probably not licensed and may not be insured. It's got a busted manifold, smells of gas, it's rust with four wheels. And I've been, you know, kind of around town. And I remember picking up our two youngest from Foundry. And my daughter asked me, she says, "Um, Dad, why are we in this car? Where's your Jeep? It's at the shop. I snapped. Is that okay? Sometimes preachers snap too. I was at the end, frustrated, discouraged. I knew we didn't have it. And what, did I mention one of them's at Christian College, which is the worst form of highway robbery? You got to sell a kid to send another to go there. Uh, I said, you know, I just snapped. I said, because my Jeep's broke, needs a new transmission, it's going to cost $4,000, and I don't know how we're going to pay for it. To which my youngest, my son, the 15 year old, pipes up with kind of this dismissive attitude. And he's like, God will take care of it. He always does. (laughs) Now, in that moment, part of me was proud. And part of me wanted to slap him. (laughs) 
I'm the preacher in this family. I bring the spiritual. You get home and get my eyes on Jesus. What's the matter? You know, and I'm like, yeah, he's kind of right. So I didn't do anything about it. I do remember praying. I do. I don't know uh, how much God is concerned about transmissions, but I figure he's the God that knows the hairs on our head, so I'd pray. And it wasn't a big prayer. It was a frustrated prayer. It wasn't even a real nice prayer. It wasn't a lot of these and thous. It was like, come on, man. It was one of those prayers, right? And it was about 24, maybe 48 hours later, I woke up to a text from a member of our board. And I don't know how they found out. I don't know how Fight Club found out. But it was a Friday morning, and he said, I was at Fight Club last night, and the men of Fight Club, the men who understand the specs on the rotary girders, <laughs> they want to take care of this. They want to fix it. Would you trust, and, 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 and the implication was they wanted to remain anonymous. These men want to take your vehicle. Will you give us your yes that they can do it? Now, just like anyone else, I have my pride. I'm not looking for charity. I want to be able to handle my own business and my own cars. But but when it comes to this, I am helpless and hopeless. What can I say? Yes. That's all I said. For the next two weeks, I don't know who had my vehicle. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they were reputable. They could have been giving it a lift and putting on rocket launchers for all I knew. (laughs) But I had to just live in this place of trust. And I I remember sending a text back to this board member who was my only connection with these men, which, by the way, if you're here, I'm super grateful. As I said to him, I'm grateful and I'm humbled. I'm humbled. And the board member's response to me was, that's a good place for you to be, humbled. (laughs) And you know, he's right. But that's a good place for all of us to be grateful and humbled. Two weeks later, I got a text, go to such and such a place and pick up your Jeep, keys are in it. And I went, and for one glorious day, I was driving the Jeep. That real loud noise was gone, even at 55 miles per hour, right? And it was smooth, and it was like, oh, this is good, I get to go places and not smell like gas when I get there, and it it was glorious. The story goes on. Sorry to belabor this, but as I've said before, I can't afford therapy, and you're here, so let's just do this, right? So the first morning, I have the Jeep, put the keys in, nothing. Come on, man! How many things we got to replace? We had new tires, we got the... Because not only had they done the transmission, but when they got in there, there was something about a differential. Is that a thing? And there's something about a drive shaft. I know that's a thing. And then something about a wheel bearing. And so it was already, they signed up for transmission and it was all this and, and, and stuff. And I was so grateful. And now it's like, here's another thing. There's power, but it won't turn. What in the world? So, okay, calm down. Texted a friend who knows things and he's like, oh yeah, just tap on the starter. Well, where's that? Well, you can go through the top, but you'll never find it from the bottom. And, and, you know, if you hit it or you jerk or you pull and you do this thing and it'll spark and it'll fire. And so I found myself, all that to say, I'm crawled underneath the vehicle. I'm looking up at nothing but rust and metal. I got a flashlight. How you guys even manipulate yourselves under there? You've got to be a very small person to do that without a lift, right? And I'm like, I don't know what I was looking at. 
And in that moment, flat on my back, looking up at nothing but trouble, I couldn't find a starter from an incubator. I didn't know what I was looking at. I was so frustrated, and then I saw something. Behind, there's a little hole, it's built in, into this thing called a heat shield, because I'd been on Google. I saw this shiny gray piece of metal running that way. And I went, that's a brand new transmission. That's warranted for three years. That's something I'd have never seen if I'd not crawled on. Now, I couldn't find the starter, but I saw all the work that had already been done. And then I remembered this thing also has something fixed with the differential and a wheel bearing and a drive shaft. And I was like, you know, a verse came into my head. In Philippians chapter one, it says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it. I got a text that night from my board member friend who said, how's the Jeep running? And I just told him, it won't start now. I don't know if something got bumped when they were up in there or whatever. He said, don't worry. And a few hours later, two gentlemen showed up that did know how to crawl under and what to hit and took it to a place with a lift in a few short hours. It was fixed. Just like the men, yeah, for the men, not for me. So these men were faithful to complete the work inside the Jeep that I would never be able to fix or do. They were faithful to complete it to the end, and I was humbled and I'm grateful. Friends, this is my point. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and that was a promise from Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you, that means if you call yourself a Christian, it doesn't matter if you've been away for a long time, if you're down in the dumps, if you need encouragement, right now, God's Holy Spirit is finishing the work that he began in you. Now, you can work against him or you can work with him. You've been away for a while, you've been working against him. You've been pursuing sin, you've been working against him. But he's God and you're not, and even in those places where you can't see the work, why do I still struggle with this? Why am I not there with this yet? Sometimes, you, you know, you need to pause long enough and get flat on your back underneath the guts of your spiritual life, and you see, oh yeah, he put in a new transmission. The fact that I'm in the struggle is the proof that God is working. And needing help and being humbled And being out of control sometimes is a really good thing because it's in those moments that we have to trust. Are you following? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The third person of the Trinity. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14. And I just want to look at a place where Jesus promises his followers the Holy Spirit. The moment that you believe, the moment that you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you become a child of God, you're saved, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And in John chapter 14, it's at the Last Supper, is where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit would come for all believers. I'm not going to read all of it, but I just want to read some to give it context. Starting in verse 15 of John chapter 14, either in your Bible or your flat screen, Here we go. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Notice helper is capitalized. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Notice spirit is capitalized. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now that's mysterious. He says he dwells with you and he will be in you. Well, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. The Holy Spirit existed. He's referring to himself and the Spirit. He dwells with you now, but he will be in you in the future. Verse 18 and 19, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is God's word, and this is where God promises us the Holy Spirit. Notice that he said, when you call, he will answer, and he will come to you, and we will be with you. He's speaking in singular and in plural. But these are promises, He says, I will not leave you as orphans to try and fix your life yourself. He will not leave you as orphans to try to figure out life yourself. And that's very hard for Americans who live in northern Michigan to stomach because we want to be self-sufficient people that don't need anybody that are in control to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I don't know the percentages, but, but it's a shocking percentage in our church of how many of you build your own house, are in business for yourself. And, and those aren't bad things, but it's because we don't want to be controlled. And that's fine with your business. That's fine with your house. I'm going to contract my own house. My wife and I could never do that. If we were to be the contractor on our own house, our marriage wouldn't last. When it comes to our spiritual life, We don't control very much. We play a part. But it's this Holy Spirit who is the helper, capital H, the spirit of truth, capital S. In other places, it's called the spirit of Christ. And so we want to understand the Holy Spirit. Now, if if you were to continue to read through scripture, you'll see what happens next. Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried, he rises from the dead, and in Acts chapter 1, before he returns to his father, he promises the spirit again. 
In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, you should go to Jerusalem and wait there and you will receive power, meaning the Holy Spirit would come. In the very next chapter, we see that the disciples were all in one place. In Acts chapter two, they're all in one place and they're praying. And it says that the sound of a mighty wind came, a rushing wind. And suddenly they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had tongues of fire hovering above their heads, and they all begin to preach in earthly, unknown languages to them, to all the different races and nations that had come to Jerusalem to worship. And it was such a mighty thing, 3,000 people got saved and the church was born. This is what we call Pentecost. And that happened. And, and someday if I get to hang out in, the, in heaven's movie room, I want to watch it, right? Because in my little children's Bible that had all the pictures, it, you know, it was called like comic strip time and it showed them all. And they all had these little fiery red, you know, tongues of fire above their heads that really looked like ginger cowlicks, right? They all had a, like a bad hair day and needed some product or something, right? But God said it and he said that it happened. And from there, we go to Ephesians chapter four and we find out that that was a one-time event when the spirit came that way. Now it comes under the new covenant the moment you become a Christian at the moment of salvation. In Ephesians four, it says the Holy Spirit comes the moment that you confess Jesus as Lord, the moment you ask Christ into your life and for the forgiveness of sins. Do you guys understand what that means? That means the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, this spirit of power, this spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ, God himself lives in you if you're a Christian. You see, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, if you grew up reading the King James Bible like I did, there's a very unfortunate translation. It calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And so then we kind of get this kind of creeped out thing. Who wants ghosts? I don't want to be with ghosts. You know, I don't even like those documentaries about ghosts, right? I don't even know if that's real or not. It's a different sermon. But calling him the Holy Ghost kind of makes it this spooky thing. Or kind of like the Holy Ghost is some kind of a mystical force. Or that the Holy Ghost is some kind of, oh, Gregorian chants and, you know, candles and all that stuff. No, it's the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity, which we've already covered in our series. That God eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not an additive. It's not an extra. In fact, the Holy Spirit is not an it at all. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit can be grieved so it has personal, he has personal characteristics. It's proper to call the Holy Spirit a he. So the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, lives in you. And so this is what Article 6 of the Statement of Faith that we'd love to adopt. This is how it describes the Holy Spirit, and this is not scripture, but it all comes directly from scripture. Article six, the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. 
He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And with that up on the screen, I'd just like to break a couple of those down. The first thing that it says, and it's important to, to understand, is the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Jesus Christ. This is where sometimes some churches and some Christians get sideways and actually become unbiblical in their understanding of the Holy Spirit, thinking that somehow the Holy Spirit glorifies me. These are the people that use their spiritual gifts as weapons, or they try to say, well, this is my gift. I can't do that. I can only do this because I need to be a big deal. This is my gifting, and it needs to express itself in the church. Give me a microphone. Usually people that demand a microphone at church, we say, we have something for you to be in charge of. You're in charge of shutting up and sitting down. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't exist to glorify me or you or our church or a political party, or our nation. The Holy Spirit forever is glorifying Jesus. And so the work of the Holy Spirit never draws attention away from Jesus. It only points to Jesus. That's the number one guardrail when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's not about your reputation or mine. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He also convicts the world of guilt. That moment where you realized that you were a sinner and that you needed a savior and you chose to believe Jesus Christ, that was the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus, convicting you of your guilt. We see the same conviction, the resistance that many have to the gospel, the resistance they have to coming to church or to foundry or to the retreat. They're unchurched people. They're non-Christians that you and I invite as dominoes. The reason they don't want to come is they say, oh, not me. You don't know all this junk I have in my life. That conviction is the Holy Spirit. They haven't hit rock bottom yet, but they're saying, I could never go to church because dot, dot, dot. So the Holy Spirit works on believers. It works on unbelievers. It's the conviction, convicting the world of its guilt. The Holy Spirit also regenerates us. That means he makes us new from the inside out. He resurrects dead lives into new life. He regenerates lives. He regenerates marriages. He re regenerates addicts. He regenerates depression. He works in us all the time. Sometimes we don't see it because we're just looking at the outside of the Jeep. We're just hearing about the laundry list of problems. We've never crawled underneath and saw, oh, wait a minute. I'm in process. I have a shiny new transmission in here. Does that make sense? I'm equating the Jeep to my spiritual life and to yours. And that's happening even when we don't see it, that he's regenerating us and making us new. It says we're baptized into union by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that unites us with Jesus and unites us with God the Father. That unity makes us a member of the family of God. In that sense, the Holy Spirit is the glue that connects us. Why else would Jesus say, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, I'm right there with them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And then at the end of the statement of faith, there's a laundry list of things that the Holy Spirit does. Indwells, that means lives in you. Lives in you. Now there's a war going on here because I'm still in a body of flesh. And I mentioned before, we're all in process. I got news for you. You're gonna be in process till the day you die. Until the moment the lights go out and you take your last breath. In that moment, as a Christian, you'll be glorified with Jesus and perfected. But while you're in this life, you're going to wage a war with your flesh. But make no mistake, he lives within you, even when you don't choose to live according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates. We live in darkness. We live in a dark world. The Holy Spirit illuminates the path that we should walk on through his word, through his people, It's that aha moment when the lights come on and you're like, oh, this is what the Bible says. This is what I should do. I didn't know that was in there. It's illumination. This is why forever we're encouraging the people of the tabernacle, young and old. We're encouraging you to get in God's word. If the only time you're being illuminated as to what the scriptures say is on a weekend, you're missing out. That means six days you're in utter darkness because we have built-in forgetters. And the Holy Spirit, if you ask him, will illuminate scripture to us. You may not understand all 66 books in a magical moment, but you can trust him to show you the right thing at the right time that was just for you. The Holy Spirit guides. It's that voice that we hear, that voice behind us. The Holy Spirit equips Each one of us has everything we need in Christ through the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life. You're sitting here saying, well, you know, my wife is way stronger Christian than me and I just started coming. I don't know how to be a spiritual leader, so I'm just gonna mope along, do, do, do. No, bro, you're equipped. You're equipped. God will not leave you as an orphan. Even though you missed out on the first 30 years of your life following him, he's given you everything you need by his spirit. And it says he empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. I like the fact that it says equips and empowers. Now, it's dangerous to tell sinful creatures that we have power. It's dangerous to say that. And so as part of the tabernacle, we don't want to be people that says, I have God with me. I am powerful. No, no, not even close. Because everything the Bible teaches, remember the spirit glorifies Jesus, not you muscles. Good job at the gym, but that means nothing. He's the one who said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I got to see God's power this past week when spirit-filled men in the family of God decided to show love, compassion, and let the Spirit work through them to teach this preacher another lesson about trust, humility, dependence. Not just on his brothers, but on the God that equipped and empowered them for Christ-like living and service to me. It's the same for all of us. That power will come from him when you're at your weakest. You'll see God flex his muscles through the spirit. So how do we summarize all of this? 
And I hope I haven't confused you. Are we talking about the Christian life or Jeeps? Both. Just stay with me. First of all, I would summarize that statement of faith by saying that the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our lives. Remember that the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit has been given by God the Father, by Jesus, to us to apply all that Jesus taught us about the gospel and paint our lives with it. The same way that you apply a coat of paint, he's remaking us, reshaping us, beautifying us, regenerating us, and the Holy Spirit is what applies the gospel to our lives. And to be honest, there's gonna be times when you say, well, I don't feel the Spirit. Feelings are important. And there are moments, maybe it's in a worship service, it could be in a deer stand, it could be you reading scripture alone, it could be your 15-year-old talking to you in a rust bucket truck. (laughs) And those times you might feel the Spirit guiding you and speaking to you. But there's a danger here. It's more important to believe the words that Jesus said, that I read, which said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send a helper, the spirit of truth. Believe his words that you have the spirit instead of chasing the feelings that come when you feel the manifestation of the spirit. And here's why. I'll give you an example from marriage. My wife and I have been married for over 30 years. And when we were all, you know, 21 and first married and it was romance and da-da-da-da-da, and there's still moments like that where you just feel married and you feel the romance and you feel in love. But if you've been married for more than a minute, you know that there's sometimes where you just know you're married and you believe that you're married and you believe in the years and you believe in the commitment and you believe in the loyalty and the faithfulness to good times and bad times, those will get you through the times you don't feel it. Because then in a marriage, if I'm chasing the feeling, well, I'm just going to find another relationship and then another relationship and another. And some of us do that. That's why the divorce rate of Christians is just the same as the rest of the world. It's somebody's chasing that feeling, maybe not all the time, but many times. Instead of knowing that I know that I know. It's the same thing with God and the spirit. Don't chase the feeling. Then you're chasing a feeling and not God himself. It's better to believe that the spirit indwells and lives within you. When I say the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our lives, I think it's also important to note that this is not an upgrade. This is not an upgrade. In Ephesians chapter 4, That's the moment you receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pray to receive the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. You don't have to ask for some lightning bolt experience that suddenly makes you super Christian. The Spirit's activity is not optional nor an upgrade. It says in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, the prophet is speaking about the future day when God himself would come in flesh as Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit would indwell us. Listen to these words. In verse 19 of Isaiah 30, it says, For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. There's nothing wrong with asking someone to pray for you. 
We love it when you fill out a card and let us pray for you. There's nothing wrong with sending me a text and saying, Pastor, would you pray for this? I do. But when he hears you, he answers you. You don't need five or 500 or 5,000. Now he'll really listen. It says, at your cry, he hears it and he answers. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That's a prophecy I believe about Jesus. You will see your teacher with your eyes, but then you will hear his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when you turn to the right or you turn to the left. The Holy Spirit not only applies the gospel to our lives, the Christian life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end. Without the Holy Spirit, we can never be drawn to Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, we can never be united with Christ. That's at the beginning. In the middle, we need the Holy Spirit to equip, to gift, to empower, to counsel, to encourage, to guide, to strengthen, to shield, to defend. And we need the Holy Spirit at the end. When you draw your last breath, it's the Holy Spirit that takes your soul to glory. This is one of ours. We need the Holy Spirit. Life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians chapter five that we should walk by the Spirit. Elsewhere it says to walk in the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? In Galatians five it says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So some of us who've been looking for more of God or more of the Spirit, when when it says in Galatians five, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. It goes on to say, because the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. It's not trying to be confusing. It's saying, I have two natures. Part of me is a rusty old dead sinner. That's my flesh. Part of me has a brand new transmission and some wheel bearings and and, and new tires and is being regenerated. Are you with me? In my Jeep, there's a war going on between new metal and rusty metal. Same things going on in your life and in my life. And I have a choice. Will I walk by the spirit or will I walk by the flesh? When I walk by the spirit, by his word, that voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. Godly counsel around you. And by the way, the spirit's never gonna tell you to do something that's not biblical. I think the Holy Spirit's telling me to divorce her. I think you're an idiot that's not the voice you're listening to. That's a different voice. That's a different voice. We're to walk by the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter five, it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, again, it goes on to talk about the flesh 
and the spirit's desires being in conflict. When you're drunk with wine, as some of us have been, first of all, you're stupid when you're drunk. And second, you're controlled by something other than you. So when God's word says, do not be drunk with wine, it's saying, and and, and when it goes on to say, and be filled with the spirit, it's saying, don't be stupid, be wise, walk in his ways and be controlled by him, his word, his son, his spirit. And so instead of chasing another feeling or some sort of lightning bolt or some kind of superpower that makes me not sin and always be happy, that's not going to happen. God works with us to apply the gospel to our lives. It's impossible to live this life without him. And he's saying simply walk in my way. That's walking by the spirit. What's being filled by the spirit when I continually say yes to Jesus and no to my flesh. That's how to be filled. And so when I say that Christian life is impossible without the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying you don't have a part. You can work with the spirit by giving him your yes. Or... The Bible also tells us, it says in, the, in Acts chapter 7, that we can resist the Holy Spirit. Some of us resisted the Holy Spirit a long time before we ever gave our lives to Christ. But the fact is, is you can go to church, you can go to Foundry, you can go to Young Adults, Tab Women, Fight Club, and still be resisting the Holy Spirit. God is a respecter of persons. And we can resist to our destruction. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's how we know the Spirit is a person. It's not an it. He, the Holy Spirit, is a person that has emotions the same way that we do. We can grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin, with our attitudes, with our speech. In 1 Thessalonians, it says we can quench the Holy Spirit. And the implication there is the same way the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost as a demonstration, like tongues of fire, that when the Holy Spirit lives in you, there's this holy fire that lives in each one of us. It says in the Old Testament, our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And that fire, that Holy Spirit lives in us But I can choose when I hear the voice that says, this is the way to go, you know what? I got a better idea. I'm going to go this way. Or you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to go here. I want to turn my back and go there. I'm resisting the spirit. I'm grieving the spirit. I'm quenching the spirit. That's like to douse a fire with water or to stomp it out. And the sad thing is, is, you know, I'm not always up close and personal with our students as I'd like to be. I still coach to try to stay engaged, but I know a lot of students within our church over the past 20 years that they started out on fire. And then they sort of made some decisions in high school or maybe college or young adult that they started to resist and then to grieve and then to quench. The spirit's still there. We're sealed by the spirit, but they're on a road to destruction They're doing their own thing instead of walking by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And so what about you? Where are you with the Holy Spirit today? It's impossible to live without him. 
He always brings glory to Jesus. Is that your life? Are you walking by the Spirit? In obedience, being filled with the Spirit? Are you resisting, grieving, quenching? It's one or the other. I've asked our uh, musicians if they would uh, close us with a song that's more of a prayer. I'm gonna invite David in Manistee and Vicky here if they'll come. And I wanna invite you to bow your heads, both here and in Manistee together. And just take a moment. We're, we're gonna get real practical. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here. If you're not a Christian and you'd like to become one, in these next moments, you can ask Christ into your life. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will come to you, the same one that is drawing you, and will live within you. But if you're a Christian, I would ask you right now, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And that voice behind you, that's so good at pointing out sin, that's conviction. Don't resist him. Don't quench that fire. Don't grieve God the Spirit. Where there needs to be repentance, repent of sin. Take a moment and talk to him and ask him what he wants from you. And as David and Vicki lead us, would you just stay seated and let this wash over you as part of our benediction?